Hello, I'm Adam and welcome back to Tales from the Potting Bench, a gardening podcast where you'll hear tales and stories from the most interesting and different people from the world of both indoor and outdoor gardening. This is the whopping fifth season of the podcast with new guests and brand new stories and conversations with some people that you will definitely know and some people that you'll come to know and love. Now I'm thrilled to say that this podcast is proudly sponsored by the wonderful people at Plant Grow, producers of award-winning organic compost, mulch and fertiliser made with zero chemicals. Great for your garden and even greater for the planet. And I know because it's all I use on my garden. Don't forget, if you use the code POTTINGBENCH on plantgrow.co.uk, you'll get 10% off your whole order. Before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to ask, if you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, then please consider rating and leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. It's easy to do, takes a few minutes of your time, but it really helps this podcast get into the ears of more like-minded, planty people. In this episode, I'm joined by the wonderful Kim Stoddart. Kim is an award-winning environmental journalist, editor, speaker, writer and climate change savvy garden designer, not to mention that she's also an author too. When it comes to how the environment impacts on our garden, then Kim is one of the leading voices and experts in that field. In this conversation, we open up the debate about what we can expect from climate change and how that truly will affect our changing garden landscape. This is a thought-provoking episode for sure. Enjoy. So, for anyone who is not familiar with you right now, who are you and what do you do? Hello, Adam. Thank you. It's great to be here. I do lots of different things. I have been writing about climate change and resilient gardening since about 2013. So, I started writing a series for, of articles for The Guardian. And I do, I've edited the Organic Way magazine, I write for Grow Your Own magazine. I've written for Gardeners World. So I do a lot of writing in the press. I teach a lot of courses on resilience. And I also get involved in setting up community projects and garden design. So it's all very much lots of things that are very exciting around climate change and resilient gardening. So with that in mind, you've got tons of free time, obviously. (laughs) Well, I do need to have time to garden. That's really important. (laughs) So I do have to make myself think, right, today time to garden and actually I mean gardening obviously I'm speaking to the converted here but it's such (laughs) a beneficial thing so if I'm at my desk and I've got multifarious uh, writing deadlines I will make a point of stepping out and just doing some nice gardening proper hands in the soil picking some produce because it clears my head it makes me more efficient at the computer work as well as everything else it's just hugely enjoyable so yeah I do do try and find time to garden every day at least a little bit the key word there is try it's not not always yes. possible is it? <laughs> so so you mentioned 2013 so that's so that's 10 years ago now what were you what were you doing before that and how did you end up doing what you're doing well I have a very different background actually so my background's running PR companies in Brighton so I'm from Brighton originally and I used to be in meetings talking with used to work with big companies and I'd be in board meetings and to be frank I was just thinking about gardening and I just wanted to turn my love of gardening into a career so that then followed with I sold my PR companies to a homeless charity called Brighton Housing Trust which was described as quite a unique move by the FT because 
the uh, one of the companies was a community interest company and it was the second community interest company ever to be sold apparently oh, so wow. randomly the ft covered something about it i think they thought i was quite strange doing that but i felt <laughs> passionately about it so that's fine um and moved to the glorious west of wales and that was just really part of the transformation of taking my love of gardening and turning it into a career and that's what i've been doing ever since so why wales and well i say why wales obviously wales is wales is gorgeous and it's funny because we we met in person we've talked for ages but we met in person at chelsea and it's funny because the other person that we were sat with stephanie hafferty also Yes. Um, has got a place in Wales and then the more you delve into this then there's Liz Zorab and there's loads of kind of people that have set up these spaces in Wales so is there is there a reason for that geographically or I don't know I, what is it thing isn't it Alice Fowler's Alice Fowler yeah as well she's moved near to Aberystwyth so it's just a really really beautiful part of the country and mm. I love Brighton, I love Sussex, but I came here on, I suppose, classic scenario, I came here on holiday, mm. and it is just a complete wildlife haven where I live, it is mm. absolutely beautiful, and I just felt a real connection, and staying at a place in Pembrokeshire, and um, the um, the chap that he, you know, you have those light bulb moments, those conversations with people, they really stick, mm. and what he said to me was, I wish, if I have one regret, about what I'm doing I wish I did it when I was your age and it kept coming back to me and it kept coming back to me and so there were a lot of things that I had to do to actually get to the space where I could move etc but yeah no it's beautiful it's just a really stunning part of the of the country and in terms of the difference so were you already so you obviously sold your company and then were you already gardening at that time in Brighton you, you, it was already a passion though. Absolutely. I had a very small um, patio garden and I used to do a lot of container gardening. So mm. it was lots of pots and vertical growing. And so it was, for me, it was relaxation because my job was very stressful. I'd go off on holiday and I'd get phone calls. So I could never completely switch off. Mm. So for me, the gardening was therapeutic. It was obviously fantastic as it is to grow some of your own food to the well-being. So for me, it was about making me feel good. And it was it was just a passion. And also I was I was obsessively reading about climate change and I just really felt that growing some of your own food was one of the most positive things that you could do in light of this. So it was it was all linked into that, really. And it's again, it's that whole idea of making something that you feel passionately about your career, then it becomes meaningful mm. on a whole new level. So I was just, yeah, I was wanting to align how I felt about things with my work. Climate change wise, I, I mean, this is a, not drastic, but the difference between Brighton and Wales, like I, I know I'm talking about climate as though we're talking about like Africa and England, but it's is did you notice an initial difference between that as well? It's from the from Britain oh, to Wales. Oh my goodness, yeah. The first the first couple of years, I used to uh, just really regularly check the weather in Brighton, compare it to Wales because <laughs> it's always. I mean, it's a much more um, it's a warmer climate in you know traditionally in in southeast of England and easier growing conditions as well but that has obviously changed with with our changing climate that 
that if you get a heat wave, um, it's going to be most likely to be hotter in mm. southeast of England. So it's yeah, but I mean, it rained. It, it when I first moved here, it rained a lot, and I was really aware of the fact it was raining a lot. So I was I was kind of obsessed with sort of checking that and shaking <laughs> my head. But equally, it's beautiful. So um, you know, just weighing up the benefits of being here. But that's that's of course changed. So, I mean, I have a private water supply where I live on my small holding. And since 2018, every summer, it's been running really dry. So actually, the irony of, of you know, thinking that Wales is a very wet climate, but actually, there are massive issues with water. And if you have a private water supply, um, a hose pipe ban would almost be appealing when you literally have 10, 10 gallons of water coming in from your well so that's not enough for a house let alone for the garden so mm. it's again but again from a resilience perspective it's meant that all the things that I write about that I teach I've tested them to the absolute limit yeah you're so actually practicing what you what you're preaching yeah. as it were yeah so there's me with a PR background as well putting a positive spin on it <laughs> it's not easy not easy <laughs> So, so let's get into the the climate change thing. What was it in particular that uh, that's obviously that's something that has completely struck a chord with you? And I think you know it, it's it's clearly something we all need to talk more about, but perhaps don't talk enough about, um, or don't all talk enough about. Some of us are obviously fighting the good fight, but how did what was it in particular about that whole thing and resilience that really is something that stuck? with you and has become like your your thing I think where that there's a few things I mean when I was working running the PR companies I was selling products so effectively I was working for brands that were selling products and there's nothing wrong with buying stuff but what I realized the more that I researched is how fragile so many things are and how they're not sustainable for the future so um, for me I I really threw myself into becoming as self-sufficient as as I could when I moved here and then you know I like to I like to really immerse myself in things to fully understand them mm -hmm. so I don't want to be completely self-sufficient because it's it, it would be all consuming yeah. to do that so but the 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 likes of John Seymour this idea of taking items that could be seen as waste and or single use and turning them into something else is really empowering and my experiences of gardening for free for the guardian to see if it was possible so hugely empowering and confidence mm. building and that really informs everything i do and during that process of doing those um those articles for the guardian my gardens flooded and they flooded and every all the crops were ruined the the veg patch was underwater for a few weeks and this really opened me up to this idea of how to build resilience against greater extremes of weather. So that was about 2014, and I've been writing about it since. So um, what happened with the, the flooding of the garden is the uh, neighbor's field at the back used to have grass growing on it, and you know, grass is, is, is going to improve soil structure, helps to absorb water, and they ploughed it to grow some kind of fodder crop for animals, and the soil's ability to hold and retain the water was completely diminished. Mm. And it's Wales, and it rained, and it rained. So my garden's... A perfect just, storm, but, isn't it? That of, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So that took me on a journey into researching different solutions from around the world, 
from the past for the future to shore up the defences mm. with this risk of, of flooding in the garden. And again, the more I looked, the more I found. So it sort of really evolved from there. So what did you find? How, how, did, that, how did that inform the changes that you've made for a future flood? Well, what I did, the first thing I did was realise that I needed to have a swale at the back of the garden. So actually what I've got now is technically called a bioswale, which is basically it's using planting to, to help soak up water. So it can be a ditch that can channel water away. But what I did is use a lot of planting, so trees, soft fruit bushes. I'd be taking cuttings to to propagate more soft fruit bushes, allow mm. the grass to grow really long. And then the veg patch, I turned it into an all-weather space by using a porous membrane and local gravel. So the water can soak away without damaging the soil and then raise bags to actually lift the plant roots so they're up and above out of harm's way. So lots of things like that and lots mm. of layers as well and effect. And so that's helped massively uh, with the that. And then obviously then I've had the, the drought and I've had low water conversely on the other side of the scale. And actually where I live, because it's 750 odd foot above sea level, so it's a really high exposed spot. So I've had to slow the flow of the wind as well to actually enable me to say, for example, grow fruit trees. Because when I first moved here, there was a lot of head shaking over, oh, you can't grow fruit trees. You can't, you can't, you can't. We've tried, you can't, you can't, you can't. So that immediately- That's like a red rag to a bull though, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah. yeah. We've got to make it happen then. Absolutely, yeah. Give me a challenge. So <laughs> I was immediately, yes, I can. I'm going to figure it out. Of course I can. Really ballsy. So um, I researched and I found that if I planted fast growing damson trees as a form of protection down the, the west of the site, that really helped to that they grow quickly, they they form this natural protection. And yes, I could. And I have a flourishing forest garden that's in the field. And I very much enjoy harvesting my apples and pears. Thank you very much. Yeah, prove them wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so the gardening for free thing. Um, so could you just tell tell us a bit more about that and what that kind of that process was, like the length of time and and what you actually did? Well, it was Jane Perone, uh, lovely Jane Perone was the editor at the time, and I came to her with this idea, this proposition that I'd like to attempt to, to garden for free. So as it sounds, it's this idea of trying to take, you know, this, this, this concept that we've had over the years increasingly of gardening as being something that's very expensive, yeah. that you have to have a lot of stuff in order to garden effectively and just turning it on its head and just to see if it was possible to garden without spending any money whatsoever. So I had no idea if it would be something that I could do, but I just wanted to take on the challenge because I just wanted to adventure in gardening for free. So I started out with some compost. So I did have some things to start with and I, it just took me on this really exciting journey of speaking to people like Ben Raskin, mm. who's the head of horticulture at the Soil Association, about different methods and solutions for producing my own seed compost. So leaf mould, fantastic, absolutely brilliant. And at the time, you'd look on the internet and there would be all sorts of advice over, you could use um, leaf mould, but it had to be 10% this and 5% mm. that, which is just a load of rubbish because actually you can just use 
complete and utter leaf mold and you can produce leaf mold a lot quicker if you if you you know improvise you know mm. if you think what happens so I was like well what happens naturally in a wood and you know I actually looked at a few children's books as well because again it's just you know quite often it's that childlike enthusiasm way of seeing things that doesn't overcomplicate things because a yeah. lot of the time things in gardening can be really overcomplicated which is very limiting I think yeah. I think you're right I, I I think this with just you mentioned about propagating but I've, yeah. I've got two daughters I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old and with our five-year-old is so so into the garden obviously partly because I'm just out there all, the whole time but <laughs> we talked about propagating obviously the one thing that everybody any well anybody can propagate anybody can propagate anything but the one thing that anybody can absolutely propagate with no prior knowledge or whatever is you chop a bit of mint off and stick it in some water and it's rooted within practically with it you can watch it root in seconds practically but I think that that we do I remember talking her through this and like telling her like why why it works and stuff and I remember thinking I'm doing this in such a simplistic way not in a not in a boring way but in a um, this is the, the facts of it and this is why it works but I think we just as adults unnecessarily overcomplicate everything when it comes to gardening and it doesn't need to be that complicated no this is the thing isn't it it's it's actually limiting and I find pretty much across the board with gardeners that come on courses that I run in you know various different places and different levels of experience that they feel guilt and there's lack of confidence that they're not mm. doing enough that they're not doing enough, that, oh, I can't do it like this. So yeah, 100%. And I think mm. with climate change, it's not just about the solutions. You know, there's a whole list of things that we can do to, to build resilience, but it's about building resilience in ourselves mm. to cope with all the things that are happening in our, our, you know, on our planet. So climate change, cost of living crisis, you know, there's a myriad of things happening right now that are really stressful. So the more you can build resilience in yourself, the better that is. And there's a lot to be said for having a childlike enthusiasm mm. for things as well. And to make it fun. It's really important for gardening to be fun. It shouldn't yeah. be about work generation. It no. should be really, really enjoyable. The sheer pleasure of nurturing a plant into produce that you can bring to the table is magic. Mm. So, so your your small holding there. Do you do you uh, in terms of what you produce, in terms of what you versus what you eat? But do you know kind of like what percent? Well, I don't know percentage necessarily, but like what you're what you're producing and what you're still having to buy. Or I could do like a sort of a, a guesstimate if you like. Yeah, I do like making I do like making up words though. I find it quite fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I first moved here, it was it was a much higher degree of self sufficiency. So, um, but it's, we're, we're picking produce all year round. So mm. I do have a couple of polytunnels because I have training gardens here. So I teach growing food all year round. Mm. So that's, you know, on the kitchen windowsill, undercover, but also uh, actually in dedicated polytunnels and greenhouses. So it's all year round. There's baby carrots, um, beetroot, fresh coriander, leaves, salads all year round. So lots of that type of thing. But over the years with the, the writing I've done for the press, I've interviewed an awful lot of smallholders. And what's really common is that when people, particularly when they first move to a homestead or first start producing food on a larger scale, they end up with a freezer full of um, produce. And there's that guilt that, oh no, I haven't eaten all the carrots. Yeah. 
know, and there isn't a lot of joy that's face it in a frozen carrot. So no. I think, again, there can be guilt if you grow too much and then you feel you've got to eat it up yeah. before it's time to grow more again. So for me, it's about the sheer pleasure of harvesting things fresh. So it's, you know, obviously at this time of year, there's an awful lot, but I also very much focus on growing things all year round. Yeah. So there's lots of, t- you know, tips and tricks and things that you can do to have delicious fresh produce all year round and it's the it's also the well-being gain of that as well because in the dark depths of winter with all the horrible things happening in the world how cool is it to go and just harvest some fresh produce as well it's really really nurturing thing to do you're so right and I I wrote about this in a one of my blog posts recently and it's that real simplicity this is on like the most basic level but that simplicity I'm looking out my window now and I can see I can see the strawberries, and the, the urge to not just run out right now mid conversation and just grab a strawberry off thing. But you can't, and it's such it's such a cliche, and everyone says that your first homegrown potato is the best potato you ever have, and it is. And but and but and that's great to have those within the within the kind of natural season. But to be able to do what you're doing and grow to the level and the 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 enjoyment from the eating, but from the well being side of it as well through winter as well. Is such a joy in a in the darkest of those as those of those months. That must be so amazing. Absolutely, and it's within the reach of more people than you would you would otherwise imagine. So you don't need a polytunnel. There's lots of things you can do. And again, with the 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 gardening for free background, I really relish the idea of taking waste materials and turning them into something useful. So mm. even an old window or a shower um, frame can be used to create a makeshift cold frame Mm. on a raised bed. And you can grow coriander, you can grow all sorts of exciting leaves. And there's a perception with growing that you have to, again, it's all expense and work generated related, but that you have to, you grow something, you whip it out, you plant something else. So I focus on plants that are very much pick and come again Mm. so the idea you know the classic scenario of taking some leaves like pick and come again salad leaves and you just keep picking and get them growing for longer but you can do little tips like you can leave plants in the ground such as purple sprouting broccoli and shard they can actually grow on for a number of years if you just cut them back so I try and work with everything my gardens are full of self-seeding veg that I take for the courses that I run for the community Mm. garden projects I'm doing. So it's very much about abundance. So for me, it's really exciting and meaningful to have self-seeding plants that I can pass on to others as well. So that's, you know, that's a personal thing, but yeah, there's all sorts of things you can do. I mean, I've been called, I've called myself a badly behaved gardener before. (laughs) So that's the thing, because what I did when I was gardening for free is I had to take the rule book of gardening and I had to just chuck it away because the majority of things that we were being told especially at the time you're supposed to do they just they just weren't fit for purpose what kind so of I, thing were you what what can you what, what what was one of the rules that you had to throw away uh planting using crop rotation system but using a crop rotation system and planting in line so what happened is I did the the classic thing of planting very neat rows of tomatoes in my polytunnels and blight struck mm. and the the polytunnel uh because the, the tomatoes were so closely planted together it just moved from leaf to leaf and plant to plant and 
it's really you know the polytunnel smell of death it was awful you know yeah. my welcome to my death tomato polytunnel so like um, the most, most goth polytunnel you've ever had in your life <laughs> <laughs> doom. It's all doom. so I mean obviously I'm totally exaggerating because you can pick off the leaves and you yeah. know but what I did think though is that I thought why am I planting so closely together and I'm making mm. it so much easier for this airborne fungus to move from leaf to leaf so I didn't know about polyculture I just completely went with my instincts so I just started experimenting with just really allowing more space between plants of the same family mm. and doing I call it free planting now and I just experimented and it was so freeing to take these crop rotation plans that I had pages and pages of diagrams and this follows this and then mm. this has to go here and it used to make my head whirl just thinking oh I don't know what to put now because I've just moved this and so I just threw it all away threw it all away and started free planting. And it's one of the best things that I ever did because it's amazing for natural pest control. Yeah. And you can get really creative. And if something doesn't work, you can't really see because there's all sorts of other produce mixed in. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit like forest gardening, but just on a much more free spirited scale. So mm. it's brilliant, especially with climate change. It works incredibly well. Well, while we're still on climate change, it'd be awful of me not to mention this book which this is not a, a visual podcast so I don't know why I'm doing this but I'm holding the book up for, for anyone that's listening that wants to know what I'm doing um this wonderful book that you wrote with Sally Morgan tell us about this so it's called the climate change garden um very apt of course you know exactly what it is from the from the title but tell us about it for anyone that hasn't seen it what 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 is this book thank you Adam well Sally and I had met at a few events and we got together, this was back in about 2018, and just had this conversation about the need for a, a guide to help gardeners cope with all the changes that were coming. So to look at, for example, how to cope with drought, how to cope with, um, you know, with flooding. So we put together this, um, this guide back in 2019. I got corporate sponsorship for it from um, a few companies, which I probably can't mention. Um, and then so we published self-published through Green Rocket Books, which is part of my social enterprise, um, this for, for a UK audience. So that that went really well. But then the they felt there was a need to have an updated global guide mm. for, for, you know, again, to update what the, the book sort of originally encompassed. So uh, cool, cool Springs Press, which is part of the Quarto group took this on and the new version was actually launched published in February of this year so it's updated there's a new introduction you know a lot has happened since 2019 from a climate change perspective god hasn't it huge amount so there's new chapters in there there's lots of new images and it's also for a global audience as well so mm. Yeah, this is the new the new updated version of it, which is great. That must be, I'm just thinking this now, but that must be quite a challenge actually to fit into into a book. Because I think when you when you think about gardening books, whether it's veg or fruit or ornamental or edible or whatever, that they're generally very much targeted to a, just a UK, as you as you know, as we've said. And that's yes. quite difficult really to fit into one one book to kind of challenge all the challenges that we face in different parts of the world because I think the thing is about climate change as well is that on the very very kind of you know when you think about climate change you think of 
automatically you think of excessive heat like that's the, that's the first thing i think that most people think of but then obviously there is excessive rain excessive snow excessive frost excessive whatever and you only got to look at the the previous 12 months that that we've had here you think of the winter that we've had quite harsh i'm sure which i'm sure was even harsher in wales but but then over the last few months so june in particular scorching and i think in it was it the very end of june or the very start of july the hottest temperature recorded globally which is just madness to to think about but that excessive frost that we've had and the the chop and change from okay well it's spring now or is it is it summer is it spring is it winter it's raining and it's seven degrees and it's you know the middle of august what's going on there so to to fit all of that in that's just i'm only talking about the uk to then do that on a global level must be such a challenge to write about a lot of these solutions are fairly not standard that's not the right word but you know there's the certain solutions that just work in different scenarios they can so, be applied wherever kind of yeah absolutely i mean what what we did there's certain with the american audience there's certain language differences as well different mm. no no till no dig yeah. small holding homestead so yeah. we just had a glossary so there's a glossary in there so that was a way of, of overcoming, I suppose you could call that a challenge. So that worked well. But no, the thing with that is that because it is so topsy-turvy, because the climate is struggling, so it's flitting from one extreme to the other, that the, again, the solutions, we broke it down into chapters for the different solutions for the different scenarios. So mm. uh, for drought, you know, again, for, you know, for, for snow, for example. So that is actually fairly standard across the board, the things that you can do to actually help with that. But no, you're right. I mean, when we first heard about climate change, it almost sounded appealing. It was sold as, mm. oh, we're going to have these balmy Mediterranean-like summer evenings. We're all going to be growing grapes outside. It kind of sounded almost nice. But mm. no, the reality on the ground, as we're, we're seeing now, is that it's it very extremes of weather. It flits from one to the other and mm. everyone nature's confused plants are stressed gardeners are stressed and the thing with this is that even if your plants don't immediately demonstrate some kind of impact of say for example a heat wave mm. then the next extreme weather event that happens then they can become more susceptible to pests and disease so we've seen a lot of gardeners have seen for example a huge numbers of aphids this year mm. Because again, um, there's there's lots of things. Plants are stressed, um, but also there's more opportunities for pests and disease as a result of our changing climate. So, you pests can overwinter. You can get more breeding opportunities for pests. You've got new pests coming in. So, the more that you can work with the natural world and let the you know take center stage and work with this natural resilience potential that's there, the better that is. So. Um, there's all sorts of things you can do that just work across the board. And it also forms a more enjoyable, less work-centric way of gardening as well. This is the thing, I mean, you mentioned no dig. Um, and I think there is there is this kind of misconception that not just no dig, but but all of these other kind of things that you're trying to mitigate or whatever the issues are, is that the, that they're high effort. And I'm not saying there's no effort. But I think it's 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 not about it's not about more effort. It's just about changing what you're doing, isn't it? 
really to an extent Absolutely. and it's trying to it is just trying to evolve your garden you say we you know we talked about it as though that there were going to be these idyllic balmy evenings and whatever but it's but I, I remember looking out at the, at the dahlias last year and just thinking, well, they're just absolutely loving life because this is their this is their home uh, climate. You know, this is what they you think of Mexico and whatever you think this, this is what they should be growing in. But then likewise, you, you couldn't grow, you know, X, Y and Z and that kind of heat. And I, likewise, in spring this year, I remember looking out when we had, had a really heavy snowfall, tulips would just gone and the thing is plants like that you then that's really made me think about not growing as many tulips are my thing that's just my thing and the thought of not being able to grow them is devastating but I remember distinctly looking out at them all crushed under the snow thinking well they're not going to they're not going to pop back up but it is just finding something else isn't it and try and changing the way you're doing things which is easy with ornamentals but with edibles it's probably more of a there's there's more of a thought process there obviously because there's more more involved there is i mean there's lots of research being done at the moment into which plants are going to be more resilient for the future which are more likely to struggle there's a really interesting research being done into wild varieties of crops Mm. to see whether they might hold solutions for the future and what I've done in, say, my polytunnels, when I've had no water for weeks on end during a drought, is I've let the plants go wild. Mm. So I've, I mean, I've tested this out before to see how wild you can go. And obviously, this isn't everybody's cup of tea, but you really can go wild. So you can let tomatoes trail along the ground and they they will root through their stem. So I now do Oof. this way. So you can trail, I and mean, obviously we're talking, so I can't I can't show um, this, but you can trail the stem, and then what you can do if you push the stem a little bit down into the ground, maybe put a stone on top, yeah. it will encourage it to root, and then you can still, you know, you can still have your tomatoes growing up and looking mm. really nice. And um, but you know that will enable the tomato to get food and water from more than one place. Yeah. My soil is so full of mycorrhizal fungi; it is amazing. And I'm astounded that these natural systems have just really kicked in yeah. as a result of the, the extremes that we've we've had here. So I will, no dig, obviously. Um, that's one of the first things I did back in 2014 um, when I was looking to see what I could do. I have lots and lots of natural pest control. So um, there's all sorts of predators that I encourage in with gusto. So I used to be afraid of earwigs um, when I first moved from the city, Um, you know, total city slicker, like, oh, it's an earwig, but what an amazing predator. Mm. So they, they, you know, provide a really valuable service, wasps, amazing array of creatures that can really help with natural pest control. And, you know, if you just, if you just connect with your space as well and learn to think intuitively around the the exacting rules that we we associate with a lot of gardening that really helps to build resilience as well so if you're just following gardening rules so if you look at a seed packet for example it's a classic scenario plant to an xx depth plant Mm. at this time of year it's really important to try and tap into this instinct within all of us to build confidence and to think what do i think i should do right now what do you do i think i should do with this So I think what also helps is to know that actually, what did people do before we had garden centres? 
you know, we have we have hunter gatherer DNA within within us all. You know, we've we were growing food before we had twenty four seven shopping opportunities. Yeah. How can you improvise? You know, sometimes when I'm doing courses, I'll be a bit cheeky and I'll pretend I've forgotten the tools. So I'll get people to improvise with sticks or, you know, whatever to, to just try and think creatively and problem solve yeah. what can I do to, to plant these, you know, these um these carrots out, whatever it is. So again, it's trying to think on your feet, trying yeah. to think on your feet. And that is massively beneficial resilience that is equally as important for climate change as the actual on the ground solutions of things that we can do to show up defences. But this also, we're t- I mean, we're talking at the time with the cost of living crisis, which I know is the term that's kind of banded around a lot, but but it's clearly there and something to deal with. This all impacts on that in, in a positive way as well, doesn't it? So isn't these courses that you run must be incredibly beneficial, not just from a learning to to grow in a resilient way, but just from a from a purely from a cost of living point of point of view as well. Absolutely, it is, and I do a lot of work with social housing providers with food banks i'm doing a community garden project right now i've designed a climate change garden for it's um it's a unit where they're going to be growing food for the food bank um in in lampeter in keradigian near to where i live and i feel very very passionately about the 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 dire need the pressing need to make low-cost food growing accessible to everybody to give people the opportunity and to empower people with the skills to to grow food on a budget so um, I'm doing a lot in that kind of arena right now so absolutely and low cost this idea of low cost so low cost isn't just about a financial perspective it's also an environmental perspective as well so recycling reusing making best use of local resources if it's making making your own seed compost from leaf mold, for example, these are all really positive actions to take um, that, again, will be helping the planet as well as reducing the amount of money you need to spend. There's a bit of an idea still that to be a good gardener, to be a, a successful gardener, you need to have all sorts of kit and mm. the latest this and the latest that. But actually... There's a much better resilience to be had from not being so reliant on buying so much stuff in. Mm. If you can have a a tool and look after it for years, you know, a pair of secateurs, just give it a a clean with a bit of wire wool and Mm. and oil. There's a a greater connection to that tool. You could even, and I have done this, name a spade, for example. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Spencer. It's a bit of a cliche, but classic spade name. <laughs> so again, connection with this, work locally with others, do some swaps. You know, the CD Sunday events are brilliant. Saving seeds, swapping seed, propagating plants, passing them on to others. We are all in this together. And with the pandemic, we haven't had chance to recover from the on the ground impact of what we've all been through. Mm. We've gone straight into a scenario where there's, a war with Russia, and then we've had cost of living crisis, and obviously the the climate change concerns. So, actually, reaching out and working with others is really important for the future. Mm. And local action, working with other people, coming up with support and scenarios together is really, really important to help us get through all of this. So it's kind of multifaceted, but certainly 
the more that we can connect with our our neighbours, with our own individual growing space, wherever that might be, mm. make it our own, the more resilient we will be for the future and the more enjoyment we will get out of that in the process. Just following exacting gardening rules, um, using lots of tools can create a real disconnect with your growing space, whereas the more you can get up close and just look and see, is it's so much, so mm. much more enjoyable. Definitely. Totally agree. We could genuinely, I think, talk for hours. And I think this is, I think, I feel like you're going to be a returning guest, um, if that's all right. I think every season from now on, every season. Um, If anyone wants to find out more about you, the courses and everything else that you do, where can they, where can they do that? Thank you. Probably the best place is through my website, which is greenrocketcourses.com. I'm also on Instagram, Kim underscore Stoddart, and I'm on Twitter at Badly Behaved One. And I do have a blog, which is bad, Get Badly Behaved, which I'm actually going to put some more love into because I haven't had a lot of time to do that. So, but yeah, it's all of this. It's just, it's about on the ground solutions to, to make it fun, to offer hope and to have fun in the process. It's really important with all of this, I think, to have to have a good time while you're doing it. Definitely agree. Okay, it's come to that time where I have got three extremely difficult questions <laughs> for you. They're not, they're really not. <laughs> so I mean, let's go straight in. First question. If you were to start your garden again from scratch, so the garden that you've got there, start it completely from scratch, where would you start and what would be the first thing that you did? Oh, that's a really good question. I love that. Um, to start a garden from scratch, I would definitely go for a lot of gravel. I'd, I'd make gravel a central focus of the garden because it is such an amazing material that will help with natural resilience. So with reducing the amount of watering that you need to do and you can plant a lot in gravel. So I would mm. do that. I would start with herbs. If I had to just grow one thing, I would grow herbs because they are amazing for, for food. Obviously, if you want to jazz a dish up, whack in some herbs, works fantastically for flavor, but also incredibly good for you. And I would use also a layered effect as well. So I would do that. I would create um, layers with lots of planting. And again, I would look at, look at what inspiration I could seek from wherever it was that I might be. So working with local materials, creating a space that worked for the area and, you know, spending time thinking about it. Something I didn't mention actually earlier, which I think is quite a cool thing, is that it's really important to spend time just looking mm. and sitting. So often we have to-do lists and we can feel really stressed. But actually, if you can just sit and say, watch a bee or tune in, you're actually tapping into your prefrontal cortex which is where you can come up with executive decision-making, which is problem-solving. So actually, it's really, really important to spend time just being. So if anyone has a go at you for not racing around being busy enough, you can just tell them you're tapping into your prefrontal cortex for nice. decision-making. I think that will shut them up. <laughs> I love that. Absolutely love that. Okay, the second question, which I think is, is the more I ask this, I think it's a really difficult question, but... If you had to tell me what your favourite scent is in the garden, what is it and why? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. 
I'm going to go for a, I suppose it's a slightly cheesy answer, but lavender. Yeah. I have to go for lavender. It's a bit of a classic. I have a lavender tattoo on my arm. You do. Because I love it so much. So it's it's such a beautiful, beautiful scent. It's so relaxing. It um, provides instant connections. So I think I'll go for lavender because I do a lot of lavender planting with the the gardens that I do and I have a lot of lavender myself around the garden really really resilient plants as well obviously great for great for the way that that things are going just the hottest of heat and they're still still fine aren't they Uh, yeah they're very drought drought tolerant I mean I am now thinking of lots of other scents as well (laughs) too late now too late you can't give me any more (laughs) unless the third question is what's your second favorite scent (laughs) and the final question which is quite a, another tough question, I think. Why does gardening bring you so much joy? Oh, that's a brilliant question. Thank you. It is such an amazing thing to do to garden. It is so important, I think, for for life moving forwards. That it's again for the love of growing food that you can bring to the table. You're nurturing your soul as much as your stomach, and the connection with the natural world the ability to make compost, to turn waste materials into something that's so beneficial that you're recycling to then produce further food to to nurture yourself. There are so many benefits, but I think everybody should have the opportunity to garden for the future, to grow food and to connect. So it's one of the best things that you can do for climate change for a cost of living crisis just for well-being for the future so it's it's multifaceted it's amazing how how exciting is it to harvest fresh strawberries on a warm balmy summer's day from the garden you know the taste the color the sensation bursting with flavor and ripeness it doesn't get better than that If you'd like to find out more about Kim, then you can follow her on Instagram at Kim underscore Stoddart. That's K-I-M underscore S-T-O-D-D-A-R-T. And be sure to see which courses she has on offer by looking at greenrocketcourses.com. Join me again next week where I'll be in conversation with another fantastic plenty guest. Until then, you can follow me on Instagram at View from the Potting Bench to see what I'm up to in my garden. And visit viewfromthepottingbench.com to read my blog and find out where you can see me speaking soon.